Our second reading is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, read from the King James Version of the Bible. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, every one to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. The word of the Lord. Have you ever felt like you weren't in the right place? Like you should be somewhere else? Like you don't belong? Like you're not quite at home? 
Some of you know what that's like because for you, you don't live in the home country that you grew up in. I lived in a foreign country for a couple of years and found it very foreign. It was England, which is very foreign. They speak the same language, supposedly, and have much of the same culture, but they do things very strangely. Um, they have these things called crisps, which are potato chips, right? I was familiar with those. But the potato chip flavors, the crisp flavors in England, include things like prawn cocktail, marmite, tomato ketchup, and lamb mint. I mean, what kid doesn't want to open their lunchbox, pull out the peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and eat some lamb and mint crisps with that? Christmas, I thought, would be a very familiar thing because I'd grown up watching Christmas things tied to England. But when we were over there, there was a lovely family that invited us over. Our kids were young. They said, come and have Christmas dinner with us. So we went to church on Christmas Day, and then that afternoon joined this family for a wonderful Christmas that was completely foreign. Things that they did that, that I didn't understand. There was a lot of excitement around this thing called a cracker. A cracker is not a Ritz or a saltine. It's actually a small package. Some people call them poppers as well. It's a small gift. It looks really cute, but they're explosive. You actually pull the ends of them, and they explode, and a little gift falls out. Now, not a good gift. It's like the sort of thing that comes in a Cracker Jacks. But everyone was excited, from the grandmothers down to the kids, excited about the poppers, the crackers. I didn't know what it was all excited about. After dinner, we went and watched the Queen's Address, which was pretty cool. And then we got ready for dessert, which they call pudding, and we were going to have Christmas pudding, which is not pudding. It's actually a fruitcake that's been soaked in rum and brandy for an entire month. <laughs> the fruitcake, I mean the, the pudding, was brought in, lit on fire. It was beautiful. Everyone cheered, oohed and odd, and then we cut into a fruitcake with a lot of brandy and rum in it. Sometimes when you're in a place that doesn't feel quite right, it makes you long for home which was the case for me at Christmas in England. And it's like that Perry Como song from the 50s or 60s that he said, if you want to be happy in a million years for the holidays, you can't beat home sweet home, a million ways. You got to go home, right? And that's because a lot of us, all of us actually, if you've grown up with Christmas traditions, you have traditions that you just love. These things that you did or you do now that you just can't wait for. I bet if I asked kids around here and said, you know, like, what are some of the things you guys love at Christmas? You guys could have some answers, right? If I said, what do you love at Christmas? What are the things your family does? And you'd say, oh, it's when we stay up late and after church get to have open up our first gift. In some families they, and in some cultures, you actually do the entire Christmas thing uh, at midnight. So you, you stay up until midnight and then you open up all the gifts, and then you eat all this food at one in the morning, and then you go to bed and I guess sleep all day on Christmas. I don't know. In my family, as I've told you guys here before, we had a lot tied to my family on Christmas Eve. And then on Christmas morning, we had traditions as well. And I still remember as a little kid loving the season leading up to Christmas because I had my record, the, the record player that our family had, that's you know the vinyl records, and would play the old Bing Crosby and Nat King Cole. And I love the, the Saturday in the Christmas season when our neighbors, the Coes, would open their house for a Christmas open house, which meant kids running in and out of their house, eating food, playing in the basement. It was so great. And I remember on Christmas morning, when my great-grandmother was still alive, that after we opened presents at my house, we would go over to her house in Vienna and have Christmas breakfast. And Christmas breakfast always included 
uh, this thing that was very unique to Christmas that I loved, and I've even mentioned it here before. It was, we called it crumbly sausage. It was, it sounds strange, but um, it was a can of sausage. Like, yeah, can of sausage. It smelled great, tasted great. It was, I still, it, it, and for some reason, the canned sausage company went out of business. I don't understand what. I think that part of this challenge that we have at Christmas time is that we have these memories and desires that are built on the traditions of our past, on things that we remember, that we'd like to recreate, that are just really hard to do. Christmas is filled with nostalgia, with sentiment. And nostalgia and sentiment are basically idealized memories. We all have them. We have idealized memories of the places and events, the aromas, the food, the scent of grandpa's pipe when you walked into his house, the aroma of the apple pies freshly baked, the scent of that crumbly canned breakfast sausage. It's also these idealized memories, this nostalgia that we all tend to have is why there's a lot of sadness, sadness for many of us at Christmas. There's sadness because your kids are grown. They don't come around anymore. Or your parents and the house that you grew up in don't exist. It's because you want things to be as they should be and you can't ever get them back to the way that you think they should be. And even if you could go back, if you could go back to when you were five or your kids were eight and try to recreate those idealized memories my guess is they would let us down because it's not as good in reality as we remembered. My guess is if that canned sausage company came back and I tried it 35, 40 years later, I would think it tastes a lot and smells a lot like dog food. <laughs> but my memory is of this fantastic aroma and great taste and that, you know, that we idealize things in our head. And it's why, for many of you, something like a Christmas season can be a letdown. Because you have this nostalgic desire for something that it can't quite meet. And why we'll get to tomorrow night, or the 26th, and many of us will have a little bit of a letdown. Kind of like, well, I guess it's over. Is that it? Memories, memories, our idealized memories are images, images of what we really desire. C.S. Lewis wrote about it in Mere Christianity when he said, most people, if they had really learned to look, learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. And our memories are this longing, this desire that we can't quite meet. And he says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can explain, can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. I think we find in our memories, in our nostalgia, that all of us long for a home. All of us long for a home that we have not yet found. Think about that first Christmas. It, or rather, 
Go back and think about the way we think about that first Christmas. You know what sentimentalism is? Sentimentality, it's basically like these, these fond feelings. And the most sentimental creatures on earth are babies, animals, baby animals, and mothers. And what does every idealistic picture of the nativity scene involve? Babies, animals, mothers. I mean, it's always Mary glowing as if she's not given birth to a child in the past year. The baby glowing as if it didn't come out like an alien. Shepherds who would have stunk looking like they've actually showered before they arrived. That's sentiment. It's like you laid the baby in a pottery barn crib, perfectly wrapped. But the story tells us there was no room for them in the inn. They didn't have a place. They didn't belong. They were not at home. Caesar, the Roman ruler who had subjugated them, had forced them all to leave where they lived to go back to their hometown of origin based on their ancestry in order to pay taxes to an oppressive foreign government who was ruthless and brutal. They were the poorest of the poor and they had no hope in life. They had to do whatever was told or they would come down at the end of a Roman sword. The better picture of them is that of a refugee. That's actually the picture of the nativity, probably. Mary was probably 13 or 14 years old, a ninth grade girl, an eighth grade girl, 100 miles from home, with a guy she's engaged to but not married to, and she has to give birth, and there's no room for them. I'm guessing she was pretty scared. She felt pretty hopeless. No power and no home. And she laid him in a manger, which some of you guys know is a feeding trough for an ox or a donkey. It's like a large dog bowl. It's like I, we had a baby, didn't know where to put him, so I put him in the sink. What do you think Mary wanted that first night? My guess is she probably wanted her mom. She probably wanted to be back home in Nazareth. She didn't want to be dealing with all this. Most of us in this room tonight are not at home. You don't live in the house you grew up in, probably not in your hometown or some combination thereof. Whatever it is that we long for, that home that was our original home or the one that we special, especially think of, it, we, you probably don't live there. In that sense, all of us, especially in a place like D.C., are strangers, we're aliens, we're foreigners. But the Bible tells us by nature, none of us is home no matter where we go. We are all what the Bible calls, or what, what we would call alienated. You know, sin, we often talk about sin as like breaking laws, like doing the wrong thing. But actually, the Christian way of understanding sin is trying to live your life apart from God. And we all do that. To live as if God doesn't exist. To be alienated from him. To do our own thing. That's what sin is. And the Bible tells us that we live in a fallen and broken world, and we are fallen and broken. We are alienated from one another. We know this. We're alienated from creation. Our own physical bodies fight against us. We're alienated from God, and we're alienated even from ourselves, searching for identity and purpose and hope and meaning. And yet, most of us 
all of us, aren't even at home in ourselves. But that's why there's good tidings on Christmas. The angels come to the shepherds out in the field and say, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Good tidings, as the King James puts it, is good news, or the word gospel, good news, the gospel. The angels come and say, there's good news. You poor and oppressed people, you homeless and alienated people, there's good news because God has sent his son. God has sent his son out of love for you to restore you to him and bring you home. In the book of Galatians, Paul writes it this way, God sent his son, born of a woman, to redeem us so that we might receive adoption as sons. God sent his son, born of a woman, to bring us into his family. You're all, we're all orphans and homeless. Because of Jesus, the offer is there to come home, come home, come home. Think about what Jesus' home was when he was here. There are two places that Jesus was known for being, two houses, if you would. We actually don't know what Jesus' house looked like, but we are told he started his house, his family, his life, I'm sorry, he started his life in a feed trough, in a manger. And he ended his life where? On a cross. The houses of Jesus, while he's here, are a manger and a cross. The manger is descriptive of being completely poor and homeless and a stranger. Even the bed that he was laid in had to be stolen from an animal that night. And the cross, an emblem of Roman power and crucifixion. The Bible tells us that on the cross, Jesus was forsaken by God. All the sin of the world laid upon him. And God turns his back on his son. Jesus was alienated. On that cross, alienated from his friends who had abandoned him and betrayed him, from his nation, alienated from God the Father. So that you and I don't need to be alienated. So that we can be brought near. So how do you find your true home? Remember one thing. Remember who God chooses in these stories, right? God chooses Mary and Joseph and shepherds. They're the lowest of the low, the poorest of the poor, the outcast, the foreigner, the stranger. He chooses two cities, Nazareth and Bethlehem, not D.C. and New York. These are unknown places. Nobody comes from these places. And he chooses a manger and a cross to take up residence. The humble, the poor, the outcast, the despised, they had nothing to offer, but God chooses them. Notice also how you can open yourself to God and how Christmas gives us that invitation. Mary gets a message from the angels in Luke chapter one, you're going to have a son, oh, and it's gonna be the savior of the world. And she doesn't say, well, look, I'm an eighth grader, that's not a cool idea. She says, let it be to me as you have said. I am the servant of the Lord. She doesn't know what her future holds. She's scared to death. She says, I am open to you, God. 
The shepherds are out in the fields minding their own business. They were crass. They were rough. They were not the sort of people you hung out with. The angel comes to them, tells them about the Savior, and they went with haste. They hurried to go see the thing that had been told them to find the baby. They responded because they were open to being changed, to the call, to the invitation to partake. In other words, you just need to be open. It's not, are you good enough? What are you bringing to the table? Hey God, look at how I I measure up all right. It's simply an openness to say, I don't really have much. I fall short of my own standards. I screw up again and again. Is there anything for me? Jesus says in Revelation 3, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him. This Christmas, would you consider opening the door of your heart, of your life, to the one who may actually be God? So, in a very simple way, this Christmas, enjoy the day. The family, the traditions, the music, the tree, the food, all those good memories as best as you can relive them this year. But remember that they're just a shadow. They're pointing to something more. They're an indication of a deeper desire for a home that you've not quite landed in yet. C.S. Lewis continues the very thing we had read earlier when he says, probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy our hunger for home. Earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy our hunger for home, but only to arouse it, to point to the real thing. If that is so, I must take care on the one hand never to despise or be unthankful for these earthly blessings like canned sausage. And on the other, never to mistake them for the something else of which they are only a kind of copy or echo or mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, my eternal home. This Christmas, listen for the knock, hear the voice, open the door. Let's pray. God, our Father, on this night we look ahead to the birth of Christ in Bethlehem. It feels too much to believe because we want control We want it to all make sense. We want to figure it out. Give us a heart like Joseph or Mary or the shepherds to be open to you, to open our hearts and our lives to what you would say to us this night. Amen.